0: Amen. Amen. Well, it is good to see you this morning. Thanks, Pacers, for sharing with us. Uh, If you have a Bible this morning, would you turn with me to Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, the 24th chapter. As you turn there, let me just say a couple of things uh, this morning. First of all, uh, thank you to all of you who not only helped put together and run the event last night to help Raise money for our kids to go to NYC, but thanks for all of you who attended and participated last night. Um, I think they're still trying to kind of figure out all the f- money part of it, uh, but it looks like you raised about $26,000 last night, which is amazing. So thank you. <clears throat> That uh, um, gets us, oh, I think, over half of the way there uh, to being able to help all these families um, and kids get to go to NYC this summer. And and let me just say, um, thank you for being the kind of congregation that I don't have to talk about money very often. Uh, so thanks for the ways that you raise money during Thanksgiving for our project to Southeast Asia. Uh, but I will say today... Uh, today and the next two Sundays after this are really important for us as a church in terms of tithes and offerings. Uh, If you're new to us, we we have our budget year around here starts over the first of March every year. And so part of what that means is year-end giving, by the time we get to January 1st, we're then trying to figure out, okay, what does next year's budgeting look like? And uh, last year, in part because uh, still coming out of COVID, some of our expenses weren't what they normally were, uh, we finished in the black last year and were able to complete some projects that we were hoping to do because of that. Uh, we're a little bit behind going into this year um, or to the end of this calendar year. And, and so, however you can help us in these next three weeks, uh, primarily not just to to fulfill the obligations for this year but as we plan for next year Um, if we have to cut some things from next year we will do that Um, but it would be lovely to be able to kind of go into next uh, the planning for next year um, knowing where we are at um, and knowing the economic challenges around us um, but also knowing about God's goodness so thanks for the ways that uh, that you give and helping us these last three weeks of this calendar year all right If you have Joshua 24, and if you're able this morning and with us, I'd invite you to stand with me. I want to read verses 1 through 7, and then verses 14 through 18. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders of Israel, its leaders, judges, and officers. They presented themselves before God. Then Joshua said to the entire people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Long ago your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates. They served other gods. Among them was Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor. I took Abraham, your ancestor, from the other side of the Euphrates. I led him around through the whole land of Canaan. I added to his descendants and gave him Isaac. Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, I gave Mount Seir to Esau to take over, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, I plagued Egypt with what I did to them. After that, I brought you out. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and you came to the sea. The Egyptians chased your ancestors with chariots and horses to the reed sea, Then they cried for help to the Lord. So he sent darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea down on them and it covered them. And with your own eyes, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. You lived in the desert for a long time. Now verse 14. So now, revere the Lord. Serve him honestly and faithfully. Put aside the gods that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if it seems wrong in your opinion to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Choose the gods whom your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But my family and I will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, God forbid that we ever leave the Lord to serve other gods. The Lord is our God. He is the one who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage. He has done these mighty signs in our sight. He has protected us the whole way we've gone and in all the nations through which we've passed. The Lord has driven out all the nations before us, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you've been following along with us in the story that changes everything, we get to the end of Joshua today. Tomorrow we start into the book of Judges. As I've been joking, nothing says Advent and Christmas like tent pegs through the forehead. Um, But we'll get into Judges. We'll see how that goes. As we've been going through this journey, and as I was laying out texts, um, thinking about where we're going to go, sometimes it's been hard to figure out what text do we want to think about, especially as we gather for worship from these sections that we've been reading. And, and I will tell you, some of them are hard. Uh, in a few weeks, we'll get into Chronicles, and the challenge there is to find a good text to preach from. Um in a few more months, we'll be in the Gospels, and we'll be doing like 21 chapters in a week. And the hard part there is, how do you pick one text out of those 21 great chapters, right? This one was not a challenge for me. In fact, I, I love the 24th chapter of Joshua, and I found myself going to it often, in part because what Joshua does in the 24th chapter, in the speech that he gives to those kids and grandkids of Israel that are standing before him, so fits with the ways that I think about what it means to be people of faith. And so this morning, I want to talk about two or three aspects of Joshua's speech and and how I I think we ought to lean into it today and, and how it frames and shapes our understanding of faith. And the first thing is this, that in the speech that Joshua gives to the people, he understands that we are what I'll call today a storied people. I talk about this a lot with you um, that we are a people who cannot help it. We think of our lives in terms of story. Um, So, if we were to pass the microphone around today and if we were to hand it to Pastor Diane and say, Pastor Diane, tell tell us who you are, Diane is going to tell a story. Uh, Hopefully, she'll edit it down a little bit, but she's going to tell us a story, right? And she's going to tell us about where she was born. She's going to tell us about her family of origin. She's going to tell us about the things that were the most formative experiences for her. And so in telling us about herself, she's going to tell us her story. That we think of our lives in story. I, I've said this quote to you often. I, I start every semester of my theology class with this quote. It's from my favorite ethicist, a guy named Alistair McIntyre. His most famous quote is this, I cannot answer the question, what am I supposed to do until I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? I can't tell you what I'm supposed to do until I can answer the prior question what story or stories do I find myself apart? It's why when you open the scripture, it starts with the story. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while the wind of God swept over the face of the waters. But then God said, let there be light. We are only about two or three chapters into the scripture and we have a story. And the story goes something like this. We do not live in a world that's accidental. We live in a world designed by a creator. And we live in a world where that creator loves us and invites us to love each other. We live in a world in which we are created in the image of God. That means that there is an essence to us that we not only need to discover, but also live into. And I know that doesn't sound very exciting, but let me tell you, one of the dominant stories in our world today is that we don't have an essence. And the whole goal of humanness is to dis- to create who we are. And we have a story that says we don't have to create who we are. We were created. And we need to lean into the ways in which God created us and formed us and shaped us and, and discover what it means to honor God in the story that we've been given. Are you with me? Amen. And so Joshua gathers them together. Now, the story, the, jo- Joshua 24 begins this way. And Joshua gathered them in Shechem. And I know you weren't really excited about that, but that's actually kind of an exciting part of the text. Scholars kind of go, huh? Shechem? Why in the world would Joshua gather all these folks in Shechem? And the reason why that kind of puzzles them is because it would make far more sense in the moment for Joshua to gather the people in Shiloh. Shiloh is the place where the tabernacle got established, where the altar was built. It's going to be for a few generations the primary place of worship ultimately for the northern tribes. It's going to be the center of their worship life. And it seems like it would make far more sense to, for Joshua to say, hey, everybody gather in Shiloh, we'll do some sacrifices, we'll have some worship, and let me then tell you this story. But instead, he invites them all out to Shechem. Uh, if, you're, if you mean to be Nazarene, it'd be a little bit like this summer we're going to Indianapolis, which is, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but it'd be a little bit like gathering at Pilot Point, right? That little town where he got formed. He invites them to Shechem in part because this is the place where back in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham encountered God, and where God said, hey, Abraham, look up in the sky. Can you count the stars? The answer is, no, you cannot. And so shall your descendants be. I will bless you and you will be fruitful and multiply. And it's in Shechem where a generation or two later, Jacob grabs his 12 tribes who are the ancestors of these folks gathered in front of Joshua. And he takes them to Shechem and he reaffirms the covenant with them. And so this is the place where God has met our ancestors in the past. And so Joshua takes them to Shechem, and he begins to tell them a story. And if you have your Bible still open, here's part of the reason I love this text so much, is because of the way Joshua plays with the story, and in particular with the pronouns in the story. So if you would go to, um, to verse 5, verses 5 through 7, Joshua plays around a bit. He says this, Then I sent Moses and Aaron, this is really Joshua speaking for God, I plagued Egypt with what I did to them, and after that, notice this, I brought you out. Now, you weren't excited about that, and you didn't underline it, which you should, or circle it. But remember, Joshua is talking to the second and third and fourth generations of the people who left Egypt. And if you paid attention back when we were in the Torah, you know that they all died in the wilderness with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. So these are not, Joshua is not speaking to people who were there. He's talking to people who've heard this story for the hundredth time. But he says to them, listen, I brought you out, and now he's going to go to the ancestors. I brought your ancestors out of Egypt, but notice this, and you came to the sea. The Egyptians chased your ancestors with chariots and horses to the Red Sea. Then they cried out for help to the Lord. So he set darkness between you and the Egyptians. So that what he is trying to do is he is trying to take these kids and he is trying to narrate them into the story. He's taking them, them to the place where so many years ago, God met with Abraham and then made a covenant with Jacob and his children. And now God is meeting them there. And this story that has happened to their ancestors didn't just happen to them, it happened to you. This is your story. This is your song praising my savior all the day long, right? Like this is your story, kids. So understand that, live into that, embody that. We are a storied people. And Joshua is telling them the story that he wants to shape and frame every aspect of their life to shape their imagination as they live in the land. But the second reason I I love Joshua and I love Joshua 24 is because Joshua also recognizes we are storied people. And this is our particular story. But here's the problem. As we move into the land... There are other stories there, and those stories are going to compete for our attention and allegiance. They're going to compete for our imaginations. Now, if I could quickly just kind of walk you through the book of Joshua. Joshua is fascinating. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua takes the reins of leadership, and he leads the people into the promised land. And in the early chapters of Joshua, a fascinating thing happens. He leads them through the Jordan River, and when the Ark of the Covenant touches the Jordan River, it parts into almost exactly the same way. The Red Sea parted for Moses. And the people cross into the promised land on dry ground. But as they enter the land, then there's some early stories. In fact, there's two stories that really shape the whole book of Joshua. The first one happens in Joshua chapter 6. It's the defeat of the city of Jericho. So they confront this people who have fortified walls. There's just absolutely no way to do life with Jericho in the land. And so what do they do? They are obedient to God, and they essentially have a worship service. They walk around the walls seven times with the ark, praying and singing. Some scholars think maybe even inviting Jericho, hey, here's your chance. Do you want to join the story? Okay, if not, well, we'll just keep walking. And then finally, they blow the trumpets, the walls fall down, and they defeat Jericho really easily, as though God is fighting this battle for them. So the sixth chapter of Joshua is about this. If we're obedient, God's going to give us this land and open the doors for prosperity for us. Chapter seven and eight, yeah, not so much. Joshua sends out spies to check out this little tiny, like, cuna of a town, Ai. And he sends out spies, and the spies come back and go, yeah, we got it. In fact, you don't even need to send the whole army. Just send two, three squadrons. We'll, we'll be fine. So Joshua sends them, and they get defeated badly. And now they're panicking, and Joshua's like, oh, no, when people hear about this, everybody's going to attack us. We're in trouble. And then they realize the problem is this guy named Akan, who's hidden stuff under his tent, Because the whole point of Joshua is as we enter this land, these people with all these stories, they can't become ours. And we cannot be shaped by their life. And so we have to eliminate the land of all of of these idols and all of these narratives and all these stories. But Akana decides, well, maybe I can have some of it under my tent. But it all falls apart. Those two stories shape the view of Joshua. As we live in the land this is going to be the challenge. Can we live this story faithfully, or will we be shaped by other stories? Later, about Joshua 13, between you and me, the book gets really boring. It's like kind of doing devotions out of an atlas. They start casting lots, and they send the tribes into all these different territories, But if you were with us and reading along, an interesting thing happens. Eventually, they can't get rid of all the people in the land. In fact, I would say at some point in the story, they realize, man, like, there's just too many stories out there just to eliminate all of them. And so we have to take what it means to be holy and to be shaped by this exclusive story of service to Yahweh... But we are going to be a people who always live in the land with the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Philistines, for some reason, the Philistines. And maybe what it means to live faithfully is not to eliminate them, but maybe it it means to live as salt and light and to witness to a truer story than the ones that they live. But here's the challenge. Israel almost always finds... that they don't abandon the worship of Yahweh and then just immediately convert to these other things. What they find is that they begin to try to synthesize them together. So as I talked about last week, two of the major parts of the law have to do, first have to do with our appetites and desires, and the other has to do with God has given us dominion and authority, and how are we going to use that? Are we going to use that to bless others? Are we going to use that for self-service? Are we going to use that to misuse other people? And these gods in the land so often are about misshaped desire and misuse of authority. And here's what the people begin to do. They worship Yahweh, but then they begin to kind of merge. If I could worship Yahweh, but then kind of mess with my desires, that would be great. If I could worship Yahweh, but we could still get all this other stuff, hide it under our tent like a con. If we could do that, then we'd really have something. But the problem is that never works. Those stories compete with each other. They compete for allegiance. Later, Elijah will say this to the people. How long are you going to limp between these two options? Either serve these gods or serve Yahweh. Or later, Jesus is going to say it this way. You cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one and despise the other. You will grow devoted to the one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and money in Jesus' case. Joshua says it this way. Choose this day who you will serve. Either choose the gods your ancestors used to serve that God redeemed them out of, and I don't know why you'd want to go back to that mess, but, it, but choose them. Or choose the gods of the people in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, Joshua says, we will serve Yahweh. We will serve the Lord. Because they compete for allegiance. And the last thing I love about this text is this, is that it realizes this has to be passed from generation to generation to generation. Years ago, um, I can't remember if it was the first memorial service I got to officiate, but it was one of the first. I've had a few more since then. Thanks a lot. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, My family asked me to officiate my grandmother, Edith Daniels, memorial service. Um, It's kind of... I was truly nervous. I mean, i got a family full of preachers, and so to kind of be put on the spot and have to be the one to officiate was a little overwhelming. She died here in Nampa. Her service was at First Church. I remember trying to wrestle with, how do I narrate our family? And how do I narrate what Harold and Edith, my dad's mom and dad, and even to some extent, my mom's mom and dad, Melvin, Claudine, Carpenter, what, what, do they, what have they meant to our family? And so, you know, my love for the Old Testament. So I thought, you know what they are? They are the Abraham and Sarah for our family. I mean, they have wild stories, both sides. They, they had no idea what they were doing when they got into this thing. My grandfather was 19 when he started pastoring his first church. We would no more give a church to a 19-year-old today for very good reasons. Uh, but these were the, the kind of stories around our Thanksgiving table. I, mean, I have heard a hundred times the story of Harold and Edith taking that first church in Nebraska and making $5 a week and tithing the first 50 cents to God and taking the next 50 cents and putting it in a savings account, right? I haven't nearly been as good as he was on $5. Um, But they were the Abraham and Sarahs for us. And and I thought, you know, my mom and dad and um, my Uncle Jerry and Aunt Theryl and my Uncle Gary and Aunt Linda and my Uncle Steve and Aunt Debbie... They're the Isaac generation. They struggled a little bit to know what it means to live into this promise, but they, crazy in our family, they all went into ministry. The faith of Abraham and Sarah, is, they were so strong that they just, they, they embraced that story, they lived into that story. And so then I, in that service, I talked about how my generation, me and my sister and all my cousins, a few of who, who are here, we're the Jacob generation, We got handed this amazing story, and we wrestled with it. In fact, we limp a little bit, uh, like Jacob, struggling with the story. But we learned to live into it. But I realized, you know what this story is? This story is not ultimately about Abraham and Sarah, and it's not even about Isaac and Rebecca. It's not even about Jacob and Leah and Rachel. It is about Joseph. Um, It's about, well, Caleb and Mel and Noah and Carrie and... Jonah, and we're going to add Perry soon, and Sophie, it's about, well, will this story become their story too? And can they carry that faithfully in a new time with, with the same idolatries, just in very different packages than they've been in the past? And can they carry that faithfully and, and honestly, as Joshua says, will they move that forward? And so Joshua invites them to to choose this day whom they will serve and to choose whether to go back to those gods or to serve Yahweh faithfully. I think about that in light of Advent season. This is one of my favorite seasons with regards to living into the story as we just saw a few minutes ago, that, that lovely shadow box manger. This is such a great season for for us living into the story. I love manger scenes. You guys know this. I, when I travel, I love to find manger scenes often that have the various cultures embodied in Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the magi. Like there's just something so cool about that. And there's something so fun when our children live into that. Where we try to imagine, what, what does it mean to be Joseph and to be stuck in such a difficult situation? to lean into honoring God? What does it mean to be merry and to be invited in unique ways to carry the revelation of God into the world and to be young and to be overwhelmed by that but to live into that? What does it mean for for us to be magi who are searching for something in life and we find it but we find it in such unexpected forms and ways? What does it mean to be shepherds who just are in living everyday life and suddenly the light of God breaks into our life and makes everything different, right? There's something really good about living into that. And as we live into that story, I wish I could tell you that that Christ will allow us to take all of the beauty and all the good things of the season and just add it to the stories of the culture. I wish I could tell you. That you are free to live and shape your desires however you want to and just add Jesus in or pursue all sorts of kind of power and just add Jesus in. But here's the reality. He's so obnoxious. He won't let us do that. You can't serve both God and some other God. You cannot live into Christ's story and live into some other story. Can I show you something real quick if you have your Bible? Luke chapter 2 is one of those places we go to during the season. One of the kind of overlooked stories in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph take baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And it's this wonderful moment where they take him into the temple and this old guy, Simeon, who's been waiting for generations for something good to happen in church, finally wakes up and says, hey, I think I heard a hymn. Um, Like, that was a good joke, and nobody laughed right there. I recognize that song. Um, This is chapter 2, verse 28. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. Such an amazing little psalm. His father and his mother were amazed by what was said about him. Simeon blessed them, notice this, and said to Mary, his mother, this boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. This powerful line to Mary. And a sword will pierce your innermost being too. Scholars wrestle with what that last line from Simeon might mean. My guess is that Simeon, who praises this one who is coming to make all things new, also says to them, but he will also be a dividing line. And his life will expose the inner realities and imaginations and values of people. And my guess is that last line is Simeon looking at Mary and saying, and not even you get out of this, Mary. For even this one you carry will be the source of divide and commitment even for you. You will have to choose this day whom you will serve. There's all sorts of stories that you can embody and be drawn into. But Christ invites us to serve him and to serve him alone. And I know that Advent is this wonderful moment where we live into this story and we wrestle with what it means to, to believe it and embrace it. But I think it recognizes that this story really has to be extended to the next generation. (laughs) Maybe that's why so many of you showed up last night to overpay for desserts. Um, It's because in all of our lives, and, and I think we sense that in the lives of our young people, there are Shechem moments where... (laughs) <laughs> or maybe some this summer in Florida, there will be this Shechem moment where our young people will hear the call to say, choose this day whom you will serve. I think it's kind of why we love camps and retreats and that kind of stuff too. And let me say, what it means for a generation to live into that doesn't necessarily mean that people raised in it just continue to embrace it. Part of what I love about the book of Joshua is that somebody like Rahab, who started outside the story, becomes such an important model of what it now means to be in the story that wasn't hers originally, but she has now embraced with her whole being, so much so that she gets involved in the Christmas story too. Weird. Great. Welcome. Welcome. My favorite part of Joshua 24 is actually the end. Joshua tries to narrate them in the story, tells them you can't serve all these other stories so choose this day whom you will serve. And then, here's the best part, the kids respond. And the reason I think I love it so much is because as a preacher, I'm, you know, I say every week kind of rhetorically, if you listened well today, and between you and me, I'm not, I say that because I'm not sure you did. Um, And one of the things that's funny to me is, you know, I I love to shake hands at the back door, and and it's it's not infrequently that people will say, oh, pastor, or send me an email, pastor, that was so good today when you said dot, 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 and I'll think, I did not say dot, 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 but I'm glad the Lord spoke to you, right? You just wonder, did, did people really get the message? And at the end of Joshua's speech, where he says, your ancestors and you, your ancestors and you choose this day, they respond this way. Far be it from us that we should forsake Yahweh and serve these other gods. Why would we ever do that? For it was Yahweh, it was God who brought us and our ancestors out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You weren't very excited about that. That was so cool. They totally heard him. What God did for their ancestors, he did for them. And why in the world would they go back to the house of slavery when the God who delivered their ancestors and delivered them is inviting them to continue to live forward as a people set free to be reflections of the God who comes near, of the Christ who comes to us, of the spirit that transforms us. God help us today. We come to the season where in so many ways we relive the story and it's, ah oh, so good. I pray that this story would get woven deep down into our imaginations and deep down into our heart, deep down into the core of who we are. I have a burden especially for our young people, but, but I pray that for all of us. Um, you can't limp between two options for very long. And so help us to be people who know how to serve you and serve you alone. Uh, We live in a world with all sorts of different ways of framing and imagining and shaping our lives. Give us the eyes to see idolatries in their many different disguises and help us to live lives shaped by you, set free from, by you. And I pray, God, um, that, that that would be true in this moment, in this generation. But I pray so deeply that you would shape another generation who will love you and trust you, and live for you, and glorify you, and despite some of the ways we, the generation before them, carried it well and sometimes not so well, may the reality of you in the midst of that, may that be what forms them. May you be the one that shapes and forms them into new challenges, into new territories, into new places to be reflections of your goodness in the world. And without a doubt, there are some here today who are facing deep decisions, standing at Shechem, choosing this day whom you will serve. My guess is that decision is usually not made one time or twice, but it's probably made a thousand times in a thousand different ways on a thousand different days. And so guide them and direct them, we pray. Fill us with your spirit, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you've listened well this morning, we are invited into a life that loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't want to ruin the next few books, but those kids who made that, pr- that promise to Joshua, they didn't do it really super great. They had some high moments and they had some low moments. And here's what God did. God keeps looking, forming and shaping and inviting the next generation to come and to serve and to be sanctified through and through. That's why this benediction is for us this morning. May the God of peace himself, may he sanctify us through and through. May our whole spirit, our souls, and our bodies be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called us, he is the faithful one. And he will not stop until he finishes his work in us. And all God's people said Amen. Amen. Go in peace.